Good morning. How y'all doing? Yeah, it is a good day. I hope that you've had time this week to reflect on the goodness of Christ. I really do. I hope that you have taken time to think about the risen Christ, to think about salvation, to think about what it has taken to ransom a sinner like yourself, that you have taken time to think about what yesterday would have felt like for the disciples as all their hopes and dreams had just been nailed to a cross. And as they, as they waited in fear, trembling, not knowing, they'd left everything as, as they thought about that. But then, at the moment that they met the risen Christ, all that just whew, turned to gray. And they knew, because Christ had risen from the grave, that they would live forever. Think about that. This is a real thing. This isn't just like, you know, it's time to talk about some things that were written in a book that may or may not be true. This is not a fairy tale. That's why we come to worship the risen Christ. It's always a joy and a privilege to gather with the church and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about the fact that millions of people will flood into buildings all over the world today and hear the proclamation of the gospel. I get so excited about that. I get excited because, listen, here's the deal. There is power in the gospel. And I know that there are people that are yet dead in their sins that God, by his great mercy, will make born again to everlasting life. Today, today, that will happen You can mark it. You can guarantee it. It will happen. God is in the business of saving, and today people will go from the domain of darkness into his kingdom by his mercy because people are going to hear the gospel today, just like you're going to hear the gospel today. You know, just like this week, last week, millions of people flooded into the churches throughout the world. There's just no doubt about that. It was Palm Sunday, right? Um, which is the beginning of Christian Holy Week, right? That's what it's titled as, it's what it's called. It's, 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 it's to remember the passion of the Christ. It's when Jesus went in triumphantly entering Jerusalem just a handful of days before he would be crucified. And people flooded the churches last week. I trust that many of you gathered here or at some location to, to, to worship the Lord. And... Um, I'm sure that your plans, I don't know what your plans are today. I'm sure it's gathering with people you love and enjoying a meal. That's my guess, right? Just like last week, many people go to church and then when they're done, they want to go home and they're going to gather with people they love and enjoy a meal. And I'm sure that that was the plans for many Christians in northern Egypt last Sunday. But their plans were greatly interrupted. Their plans were greatly interrupted as two cowardly Islamic State terrorists sought to do great harm and damage to two separate churches. And the devastating effects, I don't know if you've heard about it, it's never, it generally doesn't make the news on the front page. You have to look for these things, but this one made the news. A lot of people heard about it. And the devastating effects of this heinous action claimed the life of 47 people. Injured 125 different people, two separate churches, as the blast ripped through their Palm Sunday service. Now think about that. And none of us are probably thinking, well, that's going to happen to us today, and, and by God's grace, it won't. But it happens throughout the world all the time, and we just don't hear about it. It was reported by one man as he reported his 
his, the things he experienced in that service. He said this, he said, I quote, he says, everything is destroyed inside the church, he stated. He said, its marble pillars were covered with blood. This, this really happened last week. He said that there was mass chaos. There were people just running around. And he said, and I remember one particular woman just running and crying and wailing. And she says, have you seen my family? And he said, I didn't know who her family was, so I, I didn't know how to answer her. Listen, some look at this tragedy, and it is a tragedy. And they say, what a shame. These people died for nothing. And if Jesus is dead, then that's true. If Jesus is dead, they died for nothing. Because if Jesus is dead, Christianity's dead. And we, we're here, we're worshiping a dead man. What a foolish thing. What a foolish thing. Listen, the Apostle Paul could not have been more clear when he declared this much in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19. Listen as I read. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, and when he says fallen asleep, know that he means taking a dirt nap. It means dead. He doesn't mean taking a nap. He means dead. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They've perished. And if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Most to be pitied. Apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Savior. There's no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sin. There's no hope of a resurrected eternal life. Apart from the resurrection of Christ, Jesus is reduced to yet another good but dead man and therefore is of no value and of no help for this life or the life that is to come. None. And without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, those 47 people who died last Sunday and a few billion people who worship him as the living Christ today worship Jesus as God are gullible. Not only are they gullible, but their hope of a resurrected life after this life is hope of a silly fool is trusted in a dead man because a dead man cannot give them life. To say it plainly, Jesus his resurrection is without question profoundly significant, worthy of the most critical and careful consideration and examination. Believe that. Your life hinges on it. If you think, well, it's not that important, then I, I, I just trust you probably don't know the risen Christ. Because it is. So last Sunday, listen, later in the evening as I sat there, in my home, I was saddened and grieved by the reports as they started to come in and the videos and the pictures, and I'm starting to look at them. And as the day's events go on, I begin to think, what would their church elders say? What if that happened here? What would I say to those who are still living? What would I tell them? And I began to think about that, and as I began to, I began to pray. I began to pray for this body of believers. I began to pray for those who were living and just witnessed horrific 
actions at the hands of two cowardly men who worship a God that does not exist. And as I began to pray for them, the thought came to my mind, I don't know what their elders will say. I don't know what their pastors will say. But I do know, I do know what Peter would tell them. I know that. So I grabbed my Bible. I grabbed my Bible and I started to read from 1 Peter. And as I did, I changed my sermon for Easter. I changed my plans. And I just... I just started to read it, and as I did, the Word of God, the Bible, this beautiful book that reveals all of who God is in it, in written form, is all true, is authoritative. Whether you believe it or not, does not change the fact that God is authoritative. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. You do not give him authority. He has authority and reveals it in this Word. And as I started to read it, the living word of God, its active, began to show up to me in a profound way. It began to show up to me in a profound way. And I sat there and I started to read some of the most beautiful words that have ever been penned in all literature of all life. And these amazing hope-filled words started to change my perspective. And it's my hope, it's my prayer that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would see the risen Christ today with fresh eyes. Because if you do, you will worship him all the days of your lives. Because the only reason you don't worship him now is because you do not see him as profoundly beautiful as he truly is, because you've been blinded. And so I'm praying that God would help you see him clearly as I did last Sunday evening. Here's the thing. If Jesus is alive, and I'm saying he is, If Jesus is alive, then Christianity is alive. And so are those people in northern Egypt. Oh, to die is gain. That text just became profoundly beautiful to them. And they realized they were hanging on to a life that was just, oh. At the sight of Christ, they realized all is gain. Don't weep for them. Weep for those who miss them. But do not weep for them. They, if they are in Christ, are in glory. In glory, this has profound implications upon your life. And they, listen, they did not die for nothing. They did not die for nothing because, listen, what these evil cowards meant for evil, God will, guaranteed, use it for good because he's sovereign over all things. Believe that. Christian, believe that. So, if you have your Bibles, take them out. If you don't, start bringing them. If you don't have one, I want to give you one. And yes, they'll be on the sides, but please start having the word of God in your hand and follow along as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And I want to I pray again. Not that you can't have enough prayer, right? So let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We come to the, the throne of grace by the grace of God. God, I pray that you, in your mighty power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would show up in a profound way, like electric shock would just shock people out of their slumber, that you would open blind eyes today, God, that your word, which is like a hammer that crushes the hardest of rocks and a scalpel that cuts in the most precise ways, would do that for your glory, for their good, for their ultimate joy. May you be exalted today, and and may people see the risen Christ in new, profound ways. I ask this in Jesus' name. 
I want you to listen as I read this text. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, what an amazing text. What a, and listen, no matter what you're doing today, when I'm done preaching, will you make time to read this text alone with God, get alone with him, ask him to help you see the beauty that's in it, because I'm never going to be able to do all that. I need the Holy Spirit to do anything. I'm asking him to make this as beautiful as it is to you, that you might see how gorgeous this text is. And in it, you would see the glory of Christ I find it fitting, not by accident, that we're reading a a, a letter from the Apostle Peter. Listen, he wrote this letter to believers who had been dispersed throughout all the world. They were under intense persecution, okay? That's his audience. And, And here's the thing. If anyone understood persecution, it was the Apostle Peter. He was beaten. He was threatened. He was punished. He was even jailed for preaching the gospel. He knew what it took to endure this life without losing hope. He knew what it took. Look at me, I'm sorry, look at verse 3 again. One more time. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to what? His great mercy. What has he done? He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, I love that we start off with a blessing. Yes, bless God, and God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what? He has given all believers new life and guaranteed our future glory. He is to be praised. He is to be enjoyed forever. Notice, listen, notice salvation is due to what? God's great mercy. Great mercy. You can never earn it. It's all of grace because of the sovereign hand of God. It's a miraculous thing to think that God in his great mercy has caused us to be born again. To what? To a living hope through the resurrection. Think about that. These are some of the most beautiful words ever penned. Listen, and the fact that Peter was the one who wrote them should give you great hope. It amazes me. It does give me great hope as I read this. Peter, who denied any relationship to Christ whatsoever, as his innocent friend was being beaten, as he's being bloodied, as he's being tortured, Peter knows that he could never earn it. And so when, when you look at that, Peter may have been the best person in the best position ever to believe that salvation is all a gift of mercy. He had to have been. He must have been sure of it, or he never would have obtained it. He never would have obtained it if he had to earn it. He realizes that it's only those who are convinced of their own sinfulness, those who can truly grasp the incredible awesomeness of God's grace and mercy poured out for sinners. It's only when you've been gripped by your own inability to do anything, to add one iota for your salvation, that you realize it has to be all mercy or I'm not getting in. I'm not getting in. Mercy is God not punishing us as our sins deserve. 
Mercy, mercy is deliverance from judgment that we deserve. We talked about this in great detail Thursday night. And it, according to the Bible, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result of our sin, we all deserve death and eternal judgment in the lake of fire. That is a fact. If God gave us all what we deserve, we would all be right now in condemnation for all of eternity. We deserve nothing but the wrath of God. That's what our sins deserve. And to some, this may seem like a very pessimistic view of humanity. Good. It is. It is. It's extremely, it's total depravity. We are without hope. In terms of natural potential, human nature is not in need of some kind of cleaning up. It's in need of transformation. It's in need of transformation, not reformation. All humans apart from God are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And therefore need new birth. You must be born again. The natural person's unaware of the spiritual things the Bible teaches. The Bible paints a picture that we are blind, that we are deaf, that we are dead. And not only are unbelievers unable to perceive anything spiritual, they're incapable of doing anything about it to change their position one way or the other. Which is why radical change is so needed. A metamorphosis is needed. You must be born again. You don't need a modification of your behavior. You must go from dead to alive. You must. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he meant those words. That's a real thing. Because sinners cannot be in the presence of a holy God. And so therefore, your sin has to be paid for, which was on the cross, and you must be nailed to that sucker and born again with Jesus in resurrection. So, this is why I find it laughable when someone will say to me, oh, so, sometimes even a self-proclaiming Christian, oh, you're one of them born-again freaks, huh? Yes, because there's no other kind. There's no other kind. There are no other Christians than born-again freaks. Some of you just need to get in touch with your inner freak and just be okay that the world thinks you're foolish. You are foolish. My only hope is that a naked man was nailed to a tree. He paid for my sins. He went to the grave. He rose from the grave. He now reigns eternally triumphant. He is at the right hand of God. He intercedes. He mediates. I got no hope unless he's alive. And I say with everything I have inside of me, he's alive. He's alive. And if that hasn't radically transformed your mind, do you know him? Yes, I'm asking you. Do you know him? Have you met the risen Christ? If you're in Christ, you have been born again. And if you've been born again, it's only because of mercy. It's such good news. Because if I have to earn it, I'm in so much trouble. It's only by mercy you didn't earn it. You cannot earn it. That's why it's a miraculous thing that it says, in his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection. We deserve judgment, but if we've been born again, it's because we receive great mercy from God instead. 
And someone might be sitting here, well, how do I know if I'm born again? How do I know? And that's a good question. Uh, If you're asking that, that's a gift of God, actually. If you're asking that question right now, don't run from that question. Run towards God. Don't be afraid of that question. I want to say that, in short, the Bible teaches that, that if we're born again, we'll love God. We'll love God. But lots of people say, well, they love God. More specifically, we'll love his commandments. We'll delight to obey. That doesn't mean we'll obey perfectly, but our, our natural bents to want to please him by trusting him, by following him, to love his family, the church. So you'll love God, you'll love his commandments, you'll love his people. This is the marks of a Christian, right? And, and let's make sure, this is, the, this is the fruit of new birth. It's not the root, Right? Do you understand? This is, the, this is the, what happens when Christ comes in, those who trust. We do not do these things to get saved. We don't. But you'll be marked by them if you are born again. You can't be alive in Christ and not love God, not desire to follow him and obey him, not love his church. You will because he's in you. So the good news, listen, doesn't stop there. So listen, those who by God's great mercy have been born again, have a living hope through the resurrected Christ, and will inherit an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading treasure in Jesus Christ. So you guys ready to strap on your seatbelt and get ready to rock and roll? Listen, Christian, Christian, this is for you. So listen and delight. Oh, I just want you to delight. Listen to verse four. What are we, so we get this living hope, and we've been resurrected to what? An inheritance. That's what? imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you. Oh, what a joyous thing to think about. What a joyous thing to think about. If you get an inheritance from me, not that exciting. Really, it's not, right? Because I don't got a lot to give you, but what I had to give you, you can have it. But if you get an inheritance from God who owns all things, right? You're not thinking, you need to think, or you're just not expressing it, because if you inherit all that God has, that means you get everything. Okay, somebody, amen. Okay, yeah, we're alive. Okay, we worship a living God. We receive a glorious inheritance, which is being prepared for you, and it's imperishable. It's undefiled, it's unfading, it's kept in heaven, it's without sin, and therefore it will never decay or go away. I want you to think about this. Just yesterday, just yesterday, my family and I, we went for a walk on Ghost Town Trail. I'm sorry to say, there's no ghost, right? I wish it were. It would be cool. It would be a much more exciting walk, but there's not. And as we're taking a walk, I want you to know, I'm looking, and I'm talking to Sarah and Jesse, and I'm looking at all these, like, there's just rusty things everywhere, like from old trains, right? They took the tracks and all these different things, and everything's decaying. It's just, it's all rotting. At one time, I started to think about, this was brand new, It was beautiful. They just laid the track. It was shiny. And they were like, look at the work we've just created. Now it's all ripped down. It's all rotting. And we have a place that we can walk that's level and nice. Think about that. Why? Because it's decaying. It's it's rotting. But at one time it was exciting and it was new. But we're only talking like maybe what, 100, 150 years ago? That's a guess. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I look at my home. My home's 15 years old. It's got stuff breaking down. Man, I'm going to need some help this summer. It needs some repairs. It's only 15 years old. Everything's rotting. Wasn't that a happy little sermon on Easter? (laughs) 
right? But, but, but it's true. How about if you take a walk up to, to Cook's Forest and you go up to the cathedral place where you have all these big, beautiful white pines, and you just see, like the soil up there is so rich. If you just take it and smell it, you can just smell. But you know what all that is? It's all old, decaying, dead trees. Why? Because everything in this world has been infected by sin and therefore is groaning. It's groaning. It's decaying. Everything that is new today will be eventually not that exciting. It will not be that exciting. It will rust. Your new car is going to be a payment in three months, and you won't care anymore once it gets its first ding. And now you just have five more years to pay it off. But it was new at one time. Isn't that true? Isn't that your experience? Well, it's my experience. Everything is fading quick. Just like everything else on this earth, it's all just animated dust. That's all it really is. And, and things that are new today will be in a junk pile one day to come. And before long, all of it will just rot away and turn to dust. Which is why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3.20, he says, all go to one place. Listen to that. All go to one place. And all are from the dust. And where do we return? To the dust. To the dust. Listen, this is true for everything on earth, including our human bodies as described in 1 Corinthians, as perishable, dishonorable, weak, and it's all due to sin. Here's the thing. The older you get, the less I have to convince you of this. Yeah. Okay, I got an amen on that. Thanks, Sandra. Listen, the older you get, the less I have to convince you of this. You wake up and the things that used to work really well don't seem to work really well anymore. The Lord was very kind to allow me to see this sooner than later. I broke 18 bones in a car wreck. So when I started waking up after that at 22, I felt like a 90-year-old man. The older I get, the more I long to be with him and not feel these pains. But actually, it's a gift. It's really a gift. He hamstrung me. I wake up and I thank God that I'm alive and that I got to see him and that I'm in him because of his great mercy. He caused me to be born Again, so your aches and pains hang in. They're they're only for a moment. It's a mist. It'll be gone. It's only for a moment. But listen, these things are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and it's all due to sin. But, but, listen, our glorified bodies will be imperishable, honorable, and powerful. Our our, Our imperishable bodies will no longer suffer the sickness of death. They will not even be subject to colder heat is my guess. I don't know for sure. You might feel it if it feels good and if it's just pleasant, but it won't be like, oh, I'm so cold. I hate that. Or, oh, I'm so hot. It's miserable. It'll just be like San Diego now. If you've ever been to San Diego, it's like that's got to be, other than there's sin all over the place, it's got to be temperature-wise about as good as you'll ever experience with your human body. Our bodies will be new. They'll be honorable They'll not be shamed because of sin any longer. In heaven, we will receive a resurrected body that will be capable of experiencing unimaginable joys. That's what I want to think about right now. Listen, the Bible says that you will have a resurrected body far better than anything that you've ever known on earth. So you can think about the person who does P90X like five times a day, and no no matter how chiseled they are, they're not even close to what it'll be when you get your glorified body, which is why I don't even like to do diet plans. I just think they're silly, because eventually I'm going to die, and when you see my resurrected body, you'll be like, wow! And I'll be like that with you too! It'll be so true. And I didn't have to work out for it. I ate bacon. Oh, and I enjoyed it to the glory of God. And that's where it's going, baby. For anyone who's in Christ, you can mark that, count it. It's true. 
That's why diets are silly to me. I'm serious. Get a filet, wrap it in bacon, dip it in grease, and eat it to the glory of God. You're just wasting time doing this like grass routine where you just eat stuff that's green all day. You're still going to die. They die. All right, if you want to do diets, do diets. Give me your bacon. All right, listen. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 44 says this. Ready? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown or, or planted is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, but it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, but it's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, but it's raised in a spiritual body. And if there's a natural body, then there's also a spiritual body. Listen, the saying that your body will be stronger, fuller, more spiritual, more glorious, everlasting, for always. That's exactly what Paul's saying. Your delight, your knowledge, your intellect your brain, your affections. Listen, all will be renewed and restored that you might enjoy Christ with perfect bodies forever. Oh, that's good news. That's really good news. I want you to think about this a little deeper. If your ability to enjoy God and his gifts are always expanding, which they will be, your, your perception of heaven, right, will always be fuller, will always be deeper, will always be richer. You will never look upon the same reality twice. Think about that. God will give you new lenses to see beauty every day. You'll never see something and think you're bored in heaven, ever. It'll always be more beautiful. Not that it becomes more beautiful, but, but, your, but your ability to see it will be. You'll never be bored. You'll just be blown away. Do you ever watch movies and just long to be wherever they're at doing whatever they're doing? It's because you were not made for this world. It's just a glimpse. It's just someone who had a creative moment where they're gazing upon the glories of heaven. But for the Christian, this is reality forever. Do you know that? You need to remember this in the moments when life is just pounding you upside your head. You need to think heavenly thoughts to get through this life. Now, now here's the thing. You're going to look at each day in heaven as with some new lens where you'll see more clearly. You'll understand more fully and feel more deeply the truest joys that have ever been imagined and, and ever full joy for all of eternity. And because, listen, because God is infinite, he can be infinitely enjoyed in your new glorified body. Jesus Christ is not concerned about running out of ways to keep you and your attention. No, he's ever increasing. He doesn't change. He can't increase anymore. But our expansion, our ability, our canister to experience and fully receive that joy will always grow. You'll never, ever, ever, ever get to the end of God. He will just continue to blow you away forever. Forever. That's the good news of the Christian life. His character is endlessly deep and it's unsearchable and inex inexhaustible. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever allowed your brain to just get out of your mundane thinking and just think, what would it be like to be with him? Because that is going to be your reality. If you're in Christ, that will be your reality. Imagine the scope of the entire universe. Think about this. Trillions of shining stars. I was hanging out with my friend Ranjana the other night. She's been staying at our home this weekend. And we looked up upon the sky. And she says, I just love being at your home because I can see so many stars. 
Now, here's the thing. She comes from cities where maybe she don't get to see that because of ambient light and pollution and this and that. So she's able to see more stars. But, but even all those trillions of shining stars burning brighter than the sun, magnificent constellations, billions of spinning galaxies, right? All magnificent, all vast, all colorful, all mysterious. So yet they're, they're finite. They're all finite. Right now, they're finite. And, and yet... Brilliant as though they are, they will fall utterly short in comparison to the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ for you. If you're in Christ, his love, his grace, his kindness, his wisdom, his power, his mercy, all ever standing, never ending, infinite universes for you all to enjoy and to delight in, to give him praise. Christian, this is a real thing for you. Oh, I wish you could see it. The beauty and the purpose of the gospel is that we get God. Think about that. Think about that. Listen, 1 Peter 3.18. Everything else is just a means. I want you to realize that. So Christ accomplished many things on the cross. He defeated Satan, sin, and death. He accomplished many things. But one purpose, you know what that purpose was? 1 Peter 3.18 tells us, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Listen, this text is teaching that the best and final gift of God is the enjoyment of God. We get God. And if that doesn't make your heart go pitter-patter, I'm telling you, you're not born again. You're like, well, you don't know that. I'm telling you, if you're not excited about getting God, you don't know him. And you're like, well, that's a jerky thing to say. Talk to God. I'm just telling you. You don't know him if you're not excited to receive him. You've never met him. You've never met the risen Christ. But there's good news because today could be the day of salvation for some of you. Oh, isn't that exciting? And Christian, be praying for that. Listen, listen to Psalm 27, 4. He says, One thing I've asked the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Oh, and to inquire in his temple. Listen, the best and final gift of the gospel is that we get Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3.8. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, but I count them all as rubbish, he says, in order that I might gain Jesus Christ. Heaven's not primarily about streets of gold and mansions. Have you been taught that? I'm sorry. It's not about seeing some dead relatives, although that's a secondary thing. It's not primarily the thing you should be excited about. It's not about seeing, well, I have my pet that I love for all my life there with me, and I'm not mocking that. It's just not the point. It's not the main thing. No, it's all icing on the cake in a sense. If that's what you want in heaven, then it's not God you desire, it's the thing that you long for. If you only want to go to heaven to see your dead relative, you don't know God. You just want to see your dead relative, and you won't. You won't. Oh, I've been praying that the Lord would shock some of you out of your slumber, that he would cause your dead ears to hear, that you would be made alive. How? By God's great mercy. And that you would come to a living hope and see the glories of Christ. Listen, 
The good news of the gospel is that we get God. That is the good news. It's all about gaining Christ. And in this beautiful gift of God's love through the gospel, nothing can ever change that. Why? Because we're protected by what? God's great power. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Who by God's power. If it said someone else's power, not that exciting. You think you're powerful? Give it time. You're going to get old. You're going to get weak. You're going to get broken down. Eventually, you're not bench press what you, you do today. Eventually, Timmy, right, you're going to get tired. This dude used to bench sick weight. Now he's like struggling to get out of bed at times. It's going to happen to all of you. It's going to, it, it is. And I, and I want you to think about that because your life is but a mist. You are animated dust. You're all going to die. Happy Easter. But listen, if you're trusted in the resurrected Christ, you will never die. And we're guaranteed this because it's protected by God's power. Look at it. Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Listen, talk about amazing mercy. Our inheritance is being guarded by the might and the strength of God's power. Get this, heaven is kept for us and we are kept for heaven. Heaven is prepared for us. Not only that, but we are being prepared for heaven. This is amazing grace. It's amazing grace. If you could lose it, you'd lose it, I promise you. But if you're in Christ, you'll not lose it. Why? Because of God's great power will keep you. This is God working in us and through us for his glory. Now and all, for all of eternity, we will be guarded. This beautiful relationship for our God, for his glory. God protects us through his power by sustaining our faith to the end. Oh, that's great news. Are you picking up what this text is laying down? I'm serious. Are you capturing? If not, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you right now. You ask him. You, ask, you have not because you do not ask, he says. Ask him. Ask him to help you see. Born again believer. How do you know that you'll still be a believer when you wake up in the morning? Ask yourself that. Not only that, and every morning until you meet Jesus. How do you know? How do you know that? According to this text, the answer is that God will see to it by his great power. He'll keep you. I hope that this amazing joy, this text, will comfort you as you think about this truth. I hope it brings you such great comfort to know your heavenly father will not lose you. He will not lose one. You will not be snatched out of his hand. He's got you. What a good God. The Apostle Peter would have known this all too well. He really would have. He knew if he could lose his relationship status with Jesus, he certainly would have. He certainly would have. Remember when Jesus said to Peter right before he boasted that he would never forsake Jesus before the cross, even if everyone else would. I love that boast. Hey, all the other apostles, these slubs, they might not this guy who has two thumbs and will never deny you, me. And Jesus, he, listen, right before that, listen, Luke twenty-two thirty-one through 32. I want you to listen to these words very carefully. He says, Simon, Simon, Jesus is talking to Peter. He says, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But look at this. But I, Jesus says, have prayed for you, that your faith, might not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. All of 
All of Jesus' prayers are answered. You know, in John 17, he prays the same for us. Oh, what a beautiful thing. Satan wanted to devour the faith of Peter, and Jesus said, I prayed that that might not happen. It will not happen. You can guarantee it. Take it to the bank. If it were up to you, you would fail. I'm going to let you know that because I'm going to let you fall, but I won't let you there. I'll pick you back up. I'll dust you off. I'll get you back in the game. I'll get you to the end. Why? Because you're great, Peter? No, because I'm amazing, and I will make sure that your faith does not fail. I've begun this good work. I'll bring it to completion. Trust me. The Bible clearly teaches that those who are born again by the Holy Spirit are in the grip of the hand of a mighty God who will persevere and preserve us to the end. Do you believe that? Listen to how Paul puts it. He says, Philippians 1, 6, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion to the last day of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 37 through 39. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Do you hear that? So if you're not in Christ, come to him, enjoy him. Throw yourself upon him. Ask for mercy. He delights to give it to you. For I have come down from heaven, not to do the will, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And listen, verse 39, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me. This is what he wants. This is what he desires, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Oh, do you hear that? And while the Bible repeatedly emphasizes that those who are truly born again will make it to the end and will have eternal life in heaven with God, listen, we can only be sure if we continue in faith throughout this life. That's exactly what the text says. It's, it's really an uncomfortable tension when you think about it, but it's a good thing. That's why Peter says in verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through what? Through faith. Through faith. So get gets what's being said here. God does not guard us apart from our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, but only working through our faith when he enables us to continue to believe in him. And, and, in, and listen, in this way, those who continue to trust in Jesus can gain assurance that God is working in and through them and guarding them to the end. That's why there's a good tension. Listen as I read some. This, this is a beautiful thing. Mark 13, 13 says, the one who what? Endures. The one who endures to the end will be saved, right? 2 Timothy 2, 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him, right? Think about this. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2 says, now I would remind you, brothers, sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Do you see it? Oh, it's clear. It's clear that if you are in Christ, and that might be a big if. It might be a big if. But if you are, those who are ultimately saved, those who do persevere will persevere. This happens because God does his life giving faith-preserving work every day until the end. You can just take that to the bank. 
Do you hear this? Listen, do you see this? We will endure to the end. Why? Because we have a resurrected Savior. We have a living hope who will, we will, not just must, but we will endure to the end. If we have been justified by faith, we will make it to the end by faith. We will be glorified by faith. It's a guaranteed, it's as good as done. It's as good as done. Do you believe that? It's finished because we have a resurrected Savior. We have a living hope. I stake my life on this. I stake my life on this. If this is not true, I've got no hope. I'm most to be pitied. But it is true. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of grace and mercy that is to be revealed to those who do persevere and continue to believe in the gospel of Jesus. Listen, I want to land the plane with Romans 8. Listen, I, I did this last year too because it's, it's just so good. Romans 8, 31 through 39, it says this, if God is for us, listen, if God is for us, those who are in Christ, God is for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? He's asking a question, but he knows the answer. He's not, he's, he's not asking for information. He's going to give you information, right? So if God is for us, then why be afraid of anything is really what he's saying. Listen, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God gives us all things in Christ. And all things are a yes in Jesus Think about this. Who shall bring a charge against God's children, God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Just listen, we're straight Bible here. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who's indeed interceding for us right now. Right now, we have a perfect mediator continually maintaining our relationship with him to the day of glory. What beautiful thing. If Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, is standing before the Father on our behalf, why would we ever condemn ourselves? I mean, if God, the God of glory, has forgiven you, and he says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, none. Why do we continue to think that our judgment's more important than God's? That's just silliness. Drink deep from the gospel. Drink deep. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Forever. Wrath. Gone. Love. Mercy. Grace. That's where you stand. Forever, Christian. Forever. If you're in Christ, that's true. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. No, the only thing that we have to fear in this life is to be separated from God. And he's saying, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. No fear, baby, right? None. None. It doesn't mean you're not afraid, but when you think about the fact that your greatest problem has been resolved through the blood of Christ, through the resurrection of Christ, there's no reason to be afraid. It's all just boogeyman. There's just no reason to be afraid. You will be with him in glory forever. He's guaranteeing it. And, and it's written, he says, listen, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
He says, no, listen, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen is right. Amen. Nothing can snatch you from his hand. You will always be with God now and forever if you're with him. Do you see that now that we've been reconciled to God that nothing in the universe can separate you from him? Why? Because you're guarded by his great power, his eternal love, nothing at all. We are justified and we are reconciled on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ alone. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, by, listen, I'm just like so like stuck on how amazing God is in all of this. Have you, have you just thought about it? Can you see? Ask him to see that he loves you. Oh, that you could just see so much. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, Christ did not love you for your good works. I love this. He says, they were not the cause of his beginning to love you. And so, he does not love you for your good works even now. They're not the cause of his continuing to love you. He loves you because he loves you. And he loved you while you were ungodly. He loved you while you were wicked and weak, unrepentant sinners. He loved you. And how did he display that love? Upon the cross. What is the result of this good news? Look at the end of verse 5. Salvation. Ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, I can't wait. Your faith will become sight, Christian. Your faith will become sight. It all becomes perfect reality. What is true right now will not change, but you'll actually see it fully. The things you trust in will be real. And the question is, how do I know that I'm not one of the millions? This is the question you've got to ask yourself right now. How do I know that I'm not one of the millions who flood into churches and yet don't know him? That's a great question. And in a sense, it might be challenging, but can I just be honest? It's easy. It's easy. You ready? Do you delight in Jesus? Do you delight in him? Because if you delight in him, you could never take credit for that because here's the deal. No natural person delights in Jesus Christ. You are an enemy of Christ. You would hate Christ. The only way you could love him is God has caused your heart to love him by great mercy. So if you love Christ, that's a gift from God. And if you do, by his great power, he will guard you to the end. And I'm not talking about some veneer, yippy, skippy, plastic version of love. I'm not talking that. I'm like, do you long to see the Lord? I'm asking, does your soul thirst for God like a deer pants for water? If not, get on your face and ask him to help you see the risen Christ. Get on your face and ask him to forgive you. He longs to. Oh, he longs to. You know the Bible says that when a sinner comes home and repents, the angels rejoice. Do you know that the Bible teaches that it, it pleases God to reveal himself? He loves you. I can say that with full assurance. He absolutely loves you. He wants you to just see him for all that he is. And he's ready and he's willing and he is able to just reveal his goodness, his kindness, and his love to you. 
So ask him. And I want you to make sure we don't get it twisted. Here's the thing. You and I are not saved because we have joy in Christ. We're not saved because we obey God. If, you're, if you were, that you'd still be trying to earn your love. But you have love in Christ because of no other reason than God's grace. We're loved through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been made lovable upon the cross, period. And that fact, that fact is what should bring us joy. That's the thing that gives us joy is that he loved us in spite of us while we were ungodly, unrepentant sinners. He just loves you. And when we see the cross, well, we're amazed, right? I mean, listen, if the love of Christ has done nothing to affect your emotions, it's probably done nothing to affect your soul. I just, I just want to make sure we're clear. I don't want you thinking because you came to an Easter service that he's somehow like up there. He's not. And I don't say that to belittle you. At one time, I flooded in and out of a church and I was dead and heading to hell had God not saved me. You just need to know that. Wasn't born in a Christian home. Didn't wake up always singing hymns. No, I was a heathen. I enjoyed the things of this world. I loved me. And I'd still love me. And I'd wake up in hell if I had died if God, by his great mercy, had not saved me. And I cannot take credit for it. And if you're in Christ, you cannot take credit for it. It's only by God's great mercy. So if you're here, if you're here and you don't know him, let today be the day of salvation. Would you, I'm just begging God. John Piper says this. He says, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And the people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. That's impactful. See, the full effects, and we're almost done. Listen, the full effects of Jesus' resurrection will be seen one day. Do you believe that? Following Christ's return, a time between now and him returning triumphantly on the white horse, sword, blood dip trench, right, riding down his legs. That's how it ends, baby. If you want to know, read Revelation. The time between Christ's resurrection and his return is a lengthy season of guess what? Love, love, grace, mercy. Oh, love, grace, mercy. As the news of the gospel goes forth, as unrepentant sinners repent and believe the good news of the gospel through the witness of the church for God's glory, for their joy, for our joy. Oh, we delight to do these things. And, And so if you're here, let's go, and you're not a Christian, I want you to hear what Paul has to say to you today. Paul preached this fact to the urgent need of sinners to repent. He says, the times of ignorance. Listen, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands. The king of the universe, the Lord of lords, commands you, all people everywhere, to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So it's time to repent. You're not in Christ, it's time to repent. It's time to ask God for forgiveness. It's time to come to Christ. It's time to do business with God. No more, he commands you to. The king of the universe who has all authority commands you, today is the day of salvation. Do you believe?
That's the question for you. Nobody, I'm telling you, nobody can remain neutral on Jesus. Nobody can remain neutral on the resurrection of Christ. The claims are too staggering. The event is too earth-shaking. The implications are way too significant. And the matter's too serious. None of you are promised tomorrow. So I'll do it next week. You're not promised next week. Today, repent today. Trust in Christ today. That's exactly what the Bible is teaching. We must receive or reject this truth. And to remain indifferent or undecided is to remain in your sin. So do you believe? Oh, I pray you do. You cannot meet the risen Christ and remain the same. You just can't. Just no, no more than a worm can remain the same when it's transformed into a butterfly. You just can't remain the same. And so if you have been born again, listen, those who are truly born again, you need not fear anything. I, I just want to encourage the saints here. I want to encourage the born again believers. You need not fear anything because we have a living hope. Nothing can change that. No one or nothing can change that. Through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have him forever. That's guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. You can build your life upon that truth. Peter knew this prior to the resurrection. He was brash. He was outspoken, even though he was shamefully denied Jesus three times. Yet after seeing the risen Christ, he, it is believed and it is taught through church history that Peter, was, when he was being put to death, listen, when he was being put to death, he requested that he be crucified upside down because he did not consider himself worthy to be killed in the same manner as his Lord Jesus Christ. And in spite of this gruesome detail, he knew that he could cling to the living hope that he had in the risen Savior because he had seen him. He knew this without a shadow of a doubt. What do you tell someone? What do you tell, how do you scare someone who's seen the risen Christ? And he says, I'll see you in paradise. It's guaranteed. He just laughed. He's like, we'll kill you. Okay. You can't kill me. Christian, that same reality is true for you today if you're in Christ. It, the, this testifies to the courage, the faith, the patience, the perseverance that God gave him in these moments. He can't even take credit for them. He no doubt rejoiced to be counted worthy, to be counted worthy for the name of Christ, to suffer just like those in Egypt last Sunday. Think about them. Think about them right now. Those who are in Christ, listen, they received their inheritance. <laughs> they were guarded to the end. They received their inheritance. Their faith became sight. I can't wait to meet them. Can't wait to meet them. I will meet them. You're in Christ, you will meet them. Their brothers and sisters in Egypt are with the Lord forever. They got Jesus. They got the greatest treasure of all they have ever been able to receive. So just as you will Christian. Believe that. Take it to the bank. When you leave here, leave knowing you have a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. You have an inheritance that can never be taken from you. It is being guarded for you by God's great power for salvation that is ready to be received. To die, to die Christian, is gain. It's gain. Happy Easter.